Bette Midler, Einstein, and Mordecai Richler, Abby Alana, and their pal Wolf Blitzer. That guy my Bobby once met on a cruise. These are a few of my favorite Jews. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode three of A Few of My Favorite Jews. This is, as always, Ms. Laura Lebo talking into a mic alone. When I listen to a podcast where there's an upcoming interview, I really just prefer that the podcaster just get to it. Um, But I absolutely cannot resist talking. So I'm just going to do a quick intro just to say hello. I think I feel lonely. I think I want you guys to hear what's going on with me in the hopes that you'll feel connected to me and maybe reach out to me and maybe tell me that I sound like I would be a, an, an eight. I'm not trying to oversell myself here. And I sound like I'd make a good mother. I don't want children, but I want um, I want a husband who looks at me like a mother. <laughs> I want to... <laughs> I want a husband, uh, so we'll get married, and then we won't have any kids, but he'll refer to me as a mother, and we won't have to explain that to anybody, because that's between the two of us. Um, another thing that's been on my mind, it's uh, come up a lot for me lately, is I, so I go on TikTok, okay, a lot. Um, some people, some people are lawyers, some people are doctors. Some of us get bullied by Gen Z on TikTok. And there's been a lot, I've been, a lot of content has come my way recently. I guess the algorithm is trying to show me a lot of content related to plastic surgery and Botox and fillers for women my age. So I'm, I'm 30. Um, and it's, it's, it is stressing me out. I, I don't want to ever... Um, I'm never going to get plastic surgery. I don't want Botox. I don't want I don't want any of it. Um, but it's hard for me to not feel like, like I see all of these women and they're getting, they're, they're upping their game, their face game, you know? Um, and I just, it stresses me out because I just feel like I, I soon enough, I'm just, I mean, I'm going to be left in the dust. I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to compete with this old friggin' baseball mitt of a face this weather-worn you know you know lived in poisonless face I'm not gonna have any any toxins in my face I'm what I'm supposed to just raise my eyebrows and smile I'm supposed to just age with the passing of time like a chump you know it's embarrassing I don't want to be I don't want to be like that but I also don't I don't want to get any kind of procedure um so I think I might have to die I think that you either freeze you you either freeze in time by by you know freezing your body and your face in time or by freezing yourself in time by making sure time can't move forward with you in it like death um so I don't know going back and forth about which to choose I mean certainly uh, what the only other option is to age uh, visibly in front of people and that's a that is a no and I mean that is not gonna happen 
Who even who even does that anymore? Who is so musty and outdated that they're going to allow themselves to move through time? I mean, it's kind of cute if you think about it. Somebody who's who's just willing um, to let time pass and let their body and face pass through time with them. It's positively quaint. Um, but that's not me. So, I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, yeah, I probably will just, will probably just fossilize myself possibly through, I'm going to either try freezing myself or boiling myself and we'll see which one works out. Well, uh, that was just nonsense. So let me get to my guests. Listen, today I have Monsieur Nick Nemiroff. He's from Montreal. He, so he'll know what that means. Um. Mr. Nick Nemiroff, very, very funny comedian. It's honestly been it's honestly been painful for me to listen back to this podcast episode. I had to edit it because I'm being so um, like I'm being weird. I'm nervous. You can hear that I'm nervous because I have a really big comedy crush on Nick. Um, I'm just a really big fan of his. And I also just get nervous around boys. So that's that's what's coming up for you guys. Let me know what you think. Nick has done so many cool things in stand-up. Uh, his comedy album, The Pursuit of Comedy Has Ruined My Life, just got nominated for Juno. So go listen to that. Uh, he's done Conan O'Brien. He's been on Just for Laughs. He's done the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, um, which is the Conan of Winnipeg. And uh, he's written for Vice. He's written for CBC Comedy. Um, he's French. I mean, he's not French, but he lives, he lived in Montreal. All right. I think that's about all I can say. Oh, I did also want to mention, um, you're going to hear the sound of what sounds like farting a lot. Um, I want you guys to know that is not a creaky chair. That's toots. We were both farting the entire time we were chatting. Okay. Please enjoy the episode. We'll ask you the why. Okay, by the way, it's starting. Welcome. Thank you so much <laughs> for having me on this podcast. Thank you for coming. Um, we're going to talk about Adam Sandler, who I always loved or like was a big fan of and then did a bunch of research about him. And I like him even more now. Yeah. Uh, he's pretty he's cool. He's amazing to learn about. He is amazing to learn about. Why did you choose him? Why is he your favorite? I think when you asked me about just favorite Jews in general, he really comes to my head very quick because I think he was so formative growing up and uh, just watching Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison about a billion times as a kid and uh, really actually really loving his newest stand-up special, 100% Fresh on Netflix and really feeling like that was the best stand-up special I'd seen in years and still is one of the only things I go back and rewatch in terms of stand-up comedy to this day. He has such a specific charm in his stand-up that like, well, I guess now because he's older, I I was going to be like, really no one can pull it off but a young Adam Sandler, (laughs) but an old Adam Sandler can pull it off pretty well too. I think nobody can pull it off except Adam Sandler. No one can. Kind of everything he does is, like, you, it's, like, schlubby and, like, not trying that hard and really has no message. He's, like, sweet, kind of, but he doesn't have, like, a really intense perspective. He's not, like, super political. 
but he just has like uncle vibes in a good way. <laughs> yeah. It's just very effortless. I totally agree with that. And the like silly for being silly sake basically and very natural like i feel like there are a lot of comedians and stuff maybe who you know it just they try to have that but it doesn't necessarily come across quite as authentically and i think for him it's just like it's just so amazingly funny and natural and it feels like it is you know coming to him off the top of his head even though you know how stand-up works where it's obviously he's probably done it hundreds of times but uh to still have that quality yeah, is really impressive I mean, it makes sense because he's like he is a good uh, dramatic actor, and I think totally he's so talented. And he doesn't. I feel like the he's he's so good at like uh, yeah being like understated basically, um, and it yeah just really comes across so well. I I watch stand up uh, sometimes, and like even though I do it, and I know people who do it, I still sometimes I get anxious if someone has like a really uh, refined comedic voice or like Adam Sandler is just so Adam Sandler and he's so lucky that he had something that he had this like really unique vibe or maybe it's not unique but he was able to like embody that kind of frat boy vibe he, he became sort of the face of it but then I was listening to him on uh, Pete Helms podcast and he was talking about how when he first started he just like wasn't very good and Colin Quinn said to him, like, you're really funny. You're so much funnier off stage. Uh, you're just, like, really not being yourself on stage. And I found that very comforting that it took him a while to, like, get good. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, anytime I see a comedian I really like or think is very funny and they have, you know, not a great set or something, there is something to me so comforting in that where it's just, like, sort of shows you the humanity in uh, in stand-up. It's like, okay, this person isn't like a bulletproof, you know, untouchable god or whatever. So I think, and it does make sense too, that just everybody, I like that about stand-up, that you just kind of have to suck at least a little bit right away uh, to get good at it. And so it's encouraging knowing even Adam Sandler had that as well. Yeah, that is true. Although we, we have the, or he had the benefit of like, coming up in a time where I have so many videos on YouTube that are so fucking embarrassing from my early days of stand-up that I have, oh, yeah. like, they're private now and I've taken them down. Nice. I think that's a good call. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing I, personal against you, but just, yeah, I had the same thing and I was like, I need to get these removed. I, like, woke up in a fever sweat one night, maybe, like, a year <laughs> ago, and I was like, they're, like, those are out there. Like, I, I just forgot about them. And I look back at them, and they're so oh my god, they're so bad. And I'm always wearing a fucking hat, like a oh, like really? a yeah, like a winter hat. <laughs> I don't okay, know. that does sound familiar a little bit, like a toque. Like a toque, and yeah, I yeah, I don't. Yeah. This is a, like just me guessing about that, but I feel like maybe <laughs> I thought like it was like a protective layer. Because it was like, oh, she's wearing a hat. She's not ready to like. She's I, a, she's a little different. She's a little different. She's cold. Yeah. Yeah, she's, she's, not, she's, not like she's the much girls. colder than all the other comics on the show. <laughs> she's chilly. Adam Sandler was born on September 9th. 19- That's my favorite thing about him. <laughs> right? The, yeah. the 9th or the September, or both? Uh, the double, 9-9. Oh, that's so true. He was born in Brooklyn, New York, and then he moved to Manchester, New Hampshire at age 6, the youngest of four children. He was academically disinclined, frequently disciplined for his comedic antics in school. 
Class I've, clown. Class clown. I found that to be... So, like, there are certain comedians who I could guess they were a class clown, <laughs> and then others who I'm like... Like, you probably were, like, already funny when you were younger, but you would not... But wouldn't have been called the class clown. You know what I mean? Right. Totally. Adam Sandler always struck me as somebody who, like... Uh, his friends found him funny his entire life, and I'm sure he did stand up because his friends wanted him to. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm sure also, you know, he wanted to as well if he was also just being funny all the time. Um, I think that is very true. The being able to tell probably from a comedian's onstage presence or whatever, or even their presence in regular life, if they were sort of the class clown always wanting the attention and all that kind of stuff were you a class clown Uh, i don't think i would have described myself that way i don't think i would have described i didn't know you but i'm just gonna guess that i don't think you were right yeah i hope not i think i (laughs) would find that cringy about myself if i had been because i just know i would have been doing jokes you know that probably weren't very funny for attention I feel like that's mostly what the class clown is like. There are exceptions, for sure. That's a good point. There's no, like, uh, I guess before you're 15, you can't really be funny in any um, any kind like, of, like, inter- clever, way. clever, interesting, significant yeah. way. And, the, and so you're probably only going to be obnoxious. Although there are those comics who, like, like Sophie... There's one that, like, a class clown who's, like, very, like, witty, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would be really hard to watch too. Though, maybe, like maybe in like England, where they're like really into like you know dry humor stuff. <laughs> so the class clown is just coming back with <laughs> hilarious uh, repartee, and they call him like the class jester. Yeah, exactly. It's quite refined. I think I'd have a hard time watching a ten-year-old kid be like dry and witty. <laughs> I think I'd find that so unnerving. Yeah. That would indicate maybe some sort of sociopathic uh, <laughs> behavior. Yeah, yeah. It just, like, looks wrong. It looks like that kid got shrunk down from an adult. Yeah. Like, he, he got the opposite of big. Smalled. He got smalled. Yeah, he got smalled. that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, he he was one of two Jews in his class. Ooh, this is... I, by the I way, this is going to be... I that info. <laughs> I, know so, I know so much about him. By the way, how Jewish are you? Like, on a scale from a christian person to moses to a jewish person, a jewish person. how do you <laughs> i would say i fall on the low mid part of that in that i grew up in reform judaism okay. and did have a bar mitzvah and did do birthright <laughs> and i also uh you know cannot speak or really read any hebrew and uh, celebrated Hanukkah this year for the first time in, I would say, 10 years. But that's nice that you celebrated this year. Why this year? It's nice. I think because of, you know, the pandemic and being so separated, it was just like a fun Zoom thing to do with my family and uh, did just feel like a way to, yeah, feel connected and and sort of uh, mark the passing of time (laughs) when there are so few markers of that. That is a really good point. I was thinking that we have weather, which is a, a really great way to pass time. And I can't and, imagine. And as Jews, we can control it, which is awesome. It is awesome. I'm going to cut that just because of, <laughs> no, I just don't want everyone to know about how we control the weather. Mm, I do, um, 
we do control the media for for real. Totally. Right. I mean, this podcast perfect example. Yeah, I could turn this podcast on or off at my whim. <laughs> I could yeah adjust the volume in my recording. <laughs> exactly the same. But I found that point like I I wrote it down because I also was one of few Jews in my class growing up. And it made my Jewish identity a lot stronger because it was like a cool, it was just a unique thing to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also uh, experienced like some anti-Semitism that I only later took to be anti-Semitism because I just didn't know because I didn't have a lot of other Jewish kids to like bounce things off of. Right. Um, did you grow up, like, did you know a lot of Jews growing up or were you one of few? Uh I think I felt like I knew a lot. It felt like the Montreal Jewish community is pretty small. Oh, yeah, Montreal, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, even if, like, I wasn't good friends with a bunch of, you know, Jewish kids or something, it's like everybody kind of knew each other. And, you know, there's different neighborhoods where a lot of the Jews live and stuff, and I live close to there. Um, And so, yeah, it felt like a pretty you know, not different from any other uh, upbringing or whatever. Didn't feel like, yeah, an outcast or anything. You didn't uh, experience a ton of childhood (laughs) anti-Semitism? No. When I was a kid, two of my best friends were twins, and uh, they told me that, I don't know if I'll include this, we'll see. (laughs) I was at their house, and they were, like, telling me about the Holocaust, and I think we were, like, 11, and they were like, <laughs> I don't know why I think this is funny. It's really fucked up. But they were like, our dad told us um, that the Jews really could have fought back a lot harder, but they Whoa. did. They chose not to because they wanted the attention. Whoa. <laughs> and Damn. I, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty serious. Yeah, that's intense. And I, but I didn't, like, I I was a kid, I didn't know, so I went back to my mom and I was like, oh, it's, like, so crazy, I, like, found something out today, and I learned, I learned. And she was like, mm-hmm. um, But I find that particular theory to be really funny, and I can't place why. I think it's because it sounds like what misogynistic men say about, like, their ex-girlfriends or, like, slutty women, like, it, like that an entire people would, like, you know, cry wolf. Yeah, for like for like the juxtaposition of like the horrors of you know the Holocaust with the sort of pettiness of ask of trying to get attention and stuff is very funny, just as yeah. an extreme <laughs> difference. It's so wild. It's not even a good theory. Anyways, mm-hmm. okay, he was a Jewish. He was a little Jewish boy. He attended Hebrew school. He had a bar mitzvah. Uh, he was influenced by the Marx Brothers. Uh, he first performed stand-up at a comedy club in Boston at age 17 at the urging of his brother. Uh, he had watched Saturday Night Live and listened to Rodney Dangerfield, but he'd only ever seen comedy once on a family trip to a Catskills resort. Um, I think it was also just so much harder to see stand-up live back then, probably. Yeah. Oh, what a time, though, to be to have lived in where it wasn't the market was not so oversaturated. Yes, that would be a dream. <laughs> be a dream as a comic, but also sort of as a as like an audience member. Right. Although, yeah, I don't know how much of it was very good, but yeah. So I don't yeah, know how great it was true. as an audience. You know, that's a nice I perspective. I feel like it's better as an audience member now. It's just much worse as a comic. Yeah, you know, you're totally right. In fact, the, the more comics there are, the more we uh, challenge each other to be better. Although I do sometimes get, re- like... 
man, I, I can really tangent, but I, I started comedy late and I saw comedy a lot. Like in my early twenties, I went to see comedy all the time. Mm-hmm. And even as a non-comic, I mean, I'm sure I had the insight that I would eventually try it, but I, even as a, as a audience member, I felt like there was just way too many comedians. Like <laughs> I would go see shows all the time at comedy bar and it was just like, so like five minute sets of just like so many, so many different comedians, of like 30 <laughs> people. And you just get a little, it's just. I don't think we were ever meant to see that many people at once, let alone. Yeah. You know. Certainly. I remember, again, early, like before doing stand-up, going to watch a million shows and actually a lot of open mics as well just to see how it worked and to see, to just like be able to better imagine what it would be like, I guess. And I think seeing so many comics and a lot of them be, you know, not amazing or just like being like, okay, well, if this person thinks they can do it. Like there was something like, yeah, comfort. Yeah. I guess like, you know, affirming in that where I'm like, okay, it's not like the most incredible, difficult thing to get up there and do that. For Um, sure. For sure. Like 150 people (laughs) in tonight's audience are doing it as well. Yeah, exactly. Like most of the audience is getting up there tonight and most of them are Mm -hmm. not like doing anything super original, but they, Mm -hmm. but they're all laughing for each other and that's encouraging. Yeah. You know? Uh, he performed stand-up at 17. His brother uh, pushed him into it. He claims that at dinner, his parents asked about his plans and said, what are you going to say up there? And he said, I don't know. I don't know. I'll figure it out. Which I feel like is sort of... <laughs> I love him. that there's a r- reporting on what he said his first before ever doing stand-up comedy. But, it yeah, it does track as, like, he... Is probably, yeah, so naturally funny. And then also his first one maybe was not as big of a deal. And in, uh, in like, you know, he's like, oh, and also maybe he just didn't want to tell his parents what he was going to do. <laughs> yeah, that's all true. Although the yeah. thought of that gives me so much anxiety. <laughs> of not telling your parents what you're going to do. I'm not telling my parents what I'm going to do. They know what I'm doing right now. They know, where I, they know where I am at all times. And I know what they're doing. That's good. That's healthy communication. It is. That's actually very Jewish to like constantly insane yeah just a lot of over communication knowing where everyone is at all times my family called the the more severely anxious people in my family uh call almost every other person in the family whenever they hear sirens they call them they call them to make sure the sirens weren't for them that is very cute and also really intense psychotic but that's such a generous I would never say that (laughs) on a (laughs) podcast that they might hear. (laughs) Oh, you're Um, worried about what my family thinks? That's good. Because I I should be a little more conscious of that. Um, mm -hmm. But I know what it gives me anxiety is uh, I I like rehearsed the hell out of my first set. I really, I really rehearsed it. I practiced pausing and like. I think that's more, that's definitely what I did. I think that's more the, what a lot of people do. Yeah. Because there's no prep for what it actually feels like when you're on stage so you just kind of rehearse like it's a play i guess yeah you do go into it thinking you'll have a lot more control than you end up having totally yes and like you just can't practice for like the feeling of nerves of being on stage in front of people and like being aware of that and if a joke bombs you know your first one up it's just like yeah so embarrassing and so hard I also, maybe this this is probably more just me, I'm not sure, but 
because I, I had wanted to do it for so long before I did it, um, I would obviously like fantasize a bit about what it might look like when I finally did it. And I knew like the grounded part of my brain understood that when I did it, it would be for like a very small number of people in a really crowded, shitty bar. Mm-hmm. But you, your imagination's generous. Like why, why wouldn't it be? That's the whole point of an imagination. So I spent a lot of years like picturing the most thrilling version of it. Right. And so then when I was when I would write sets before I wrote for years before I got on stage, I'd write sets for like Carnegie Hall and like I'd write, you know, like for that kind of vibe. Um, and then I, I did my first uh, open mic at um, Sonics. Whoa. Yeah. One of the craziest places to do One a first open crazy- mic. <laughs> I didn't know anything. Well, of course. Yeah. How could you? But yeah, definitely. If not the, if not the craziest, like that or, um, uh, the heckling show. The Apollo. The Apollo. (laughs) Actually, Adam Sandler's first TV appearance was, uh, live at the Apollo. He did like five minutes. That's such a cool first credit. Damn. His life is wild, man. Actually, okay, wait, this is what I'll tell you about now. Cause it's. And this is all from your own. Uh, digging on his This is all from my own digging on It's from his trash. It's from me digging through his trash. Um, He he just, like, wrote... His trash is just full of his own biography that he, of course, (laughs) He's working on a draft of his biography. Um, Very convenient timing. Very convenient timing. He just, like, had a lot of good luck uh, and met a lot of the right people when he moved to Hollywood. Um, Mm -hmm. He got there and, like... truly, unfortunately, such a big part of show business. It really is. And I think that when you get, once you get like a bit of luck and you meet the right people, it just like keeps happening. Um, He moved there in 88 and he met uh, like Judd Apatow, Rob Schneider, who that's not somebody like you're lucky to me. I think it's more like the reverse. (laughs) That's very lucky for Rob Schneider. (laughs) Let's say that. It's much luckier for Rob Schneider. Yeah. Uh, Jen Aniston. I call her Jen. Wow. You know her so well. (laughs) I like to think that I know her well enough to call her Jen. Yeah. Um, I just call her Jay. You know her. You come full really circle well. back to here. And I don't think you even know her at all. Yeah, I actually, yeah, I actually, I'm hoping to call her by the end of this year. I'm hoping to call her. Did you hear that? A little. I hope bit. you didn't. Okay, I I just have really good earphones. That's it seems to be almost silent. Um, and then he appeared on the Cosby Show in 1987, which was his first TV credit, which yeah. at the time was great. Right. Now yeah, we know fine. he should have never appeared on that. He, he should have never appeared on that. He should have in it, yeah. and it's destroyed his career. <laughs> yeah, his career's only been downhill since 1987. <laughs> oh, 87. I wasn't even born. But he feels like he's been a part. I, similarly, he featured heavily in my childhood. Yeah. And he feels I like. I got to imagine for anybody into comedy, you know, around our age, that would be the case. Yeah. For sure. I was going to say particularly Jews, but I don't think that's true at all. I think. Everyone grew I think, up on him. I think everyone, but I think because he had like you know the Hanukkah song and Eight Crazy Nights and like other you know jokes about being Jewish and that kind of thing. Like I feel like that there was something I remember feeling like more proud to be Jewish because of Adam Sandler. Same man. The uh, the Hanukkah song in particular really. Yeah. Was I don't think it's why he did it, but it was uh, it was nice for like a young Jewish kid to have something around the holiday time that was and something that was like cool and funny yeah cool and funny jews have a really interesting identity i read this really long article in the new york times 
about Adam Sandler, where I got a lot of my research. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about, like, Jewish identity and uh, how it's really complicated. Uh, I mean, it's complicated for a million reasons, but, like, how there was a time, probably sort of our grandparents' generation, where Jews were sort or at least there's, like, a, a nostalgia that Jews were cool. And now the Jewish identity is a lot more wrapped up in, like, being kind of a like a nebbishy dork who has a lot of allergies <laughs> which is jews right that like we we choose yes. that identity for that, ourselves to me reads jewish like if i yeah. had to describe a jewish person i would probably um use one of those yeah one of those descriptors in my first <laughs> few words totally and i think it's pretty accurate like especially for our generation maybe like our, our parents generation you know, we're not, it's not like the cool, it's not like the coolest type of person you could be. Yeah, I definitely have met a lot of, uh, sniffling Jews. <laughs> <laughs> sniffling is, yeah, we have like, we have allergies and then also we're sick and then also we're nervous and also mm-hmm. we're high. I think what the article was talking about was like, Adam Sandler has a particular affinity for that kind of like Jewish identity. Because his dad was kind of like that. Like, he calls him, he calls his dad a badass Jew. Oh, he said something like, I like, how he didn't know that they made Jews like that. And how he was just, like, really badass and really cool. And he idolized his dad so much. And I think the, did you see Enka Gems? I did. I saw it with my dad. And I loved it. And, uh, I went into it thinking that my, I saw it with my mom and dad in Florida. Man, could there be anything more Jewish? <laughs> um, that that cadence is pretty Jewish. Yeah, very true. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, you know, my dad. I remember specifically my dad hating Adam Sandler as I was growing up, just because he thought it was like this is immature, this is like lowbrow humor. And then watching Uncut Gems, I was very curious to see if they would like it, and I was blown away by how much like they were like. They left, like, so impressed by Adam Sandler, you know? <laughs> that's um, so nice. Ultimately, yeah. that's all I'm ever trying to do is to get my dad to, um, like, to like the same things as me or to think that anything that I like or do is, like, is mature or, like, highbrow or intelligent. Right. You want to be that witty class clown, but for your dad. I want to be that little British boy for my daddy. Yeah. <laughs> as they say. Um, okay. We're talking about him uh, growing up. Uh, he went to the Lee Strasberg Theater and Film Institute, and he went to the Tisch School of the Arts in NYU. So he was, like, a, le- a legit actor. Mm-hmm. Which I think, again, this is uh, probably just me projecting, but I, a small part of me wants to think that, like, he was just a comedian, and then he happened to stumble upon this, like, innate talent for acting. But he studied, I mean, he studied, like, legit acting. For many right. many years, which doesn't necessarily, which does not a great actor make, it's such a dork. I got to imagine there's so many people who have gone to acting school who are brutal. There are a lot of great actors who have won Oscars that I don't think are that good at acting. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure I agree. I'll have to go back and look at watch every Oscar-winning actor performance yeah, and get yeah, back yeah. to you. But you have to watch I all the Oscars. Um, yes, I have to watch all the Oscars to see them go up and accept the speech <laughs> yeah you've just been three hours you can't just look at the nominees each year you got to watch the full three hour thing to see what was nominated that year exactly james franco comes to mind as like a, an actor that's not good 
but just has right. like grifted us for so many years into uh... I remember thinking that he was very good but I think I was like I was just like this guy is so handsome it's kind of captivating you that's know so I was like I'll believe whatever he says I believe whatever he says and that's true on a day to day on a day to day handsome people are correct yeah um and they're not lying ever but on screen you know it doesn't translate necessarily fair um, but yeah, I thought he was really good too. And I think that's because I, I think it is cause he's handsome, but also like the age worked out really, really well. Like he, he got a bunch of audience, he got a bunch of fans, um, who would have been like a little young when they started watching his stuff. And when you're young, you don't know any, I don't, I didn't know it was good or bad. I just sure. watched movies and I was like, uh, I was like, if, if like, how do I put this? Let's say it was like a Western and they did a really good job making it look like it's, like, 13-year-olds love Westerns. <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic, perfect movie example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 13-year-old girls love Westerns. I guess I was trying to sound cool. Um, but if they did, like, a really good job of making it look like the, the Wild West, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, of course they're good at acting because that's the real thing. So believable. Right, so it looks believable. so believable. It looks so believable. Anyways, mm-hmm. I think that's how James Franco did, did what he did. Yeah, could be. Could be. Um, he graduated from the Chess School in 1988, and then he moved to Hollywood, and he met a lot of uh, people who would go on to become famous and help him become famous, and he started doing a lot of stand-up, and he met Dennis Miller when he was, like, 22, uh, and he saw him, or Dennis Miller saw him perform at, uh, whatever, Catch a Rising Star, and just recommended him to Lauren Michaels. He went in, like, very soon after for an audition, and then got SNL when he was 23. Damn. I get so stressed out about, like... Oh, young success. Yeah. It is uh, It is just like thinking back to, you know, when I was 23, or I'm sure maybe you're thinking back to when you were 23 and stuff, and just being like, well, yeah, there was just no <laughs> chance of that happening. Um, None. No. I, I, I don't even know if I could have handled it, too. Like, I think 23 is really young to get something, which is also, that's lucky, but he seems to have handled his success pretty well, like... Oh, very much. He doesn't seem to have. Uh, I mean, like, truly, he died. still dresses in a hilariously chill way, and is like you know never really in any horrible tabloid and stuff. No, and I think people just like has such a loyal, seemingly like you know group of people that he always makes stuff with. Yeah, that's something yeah. I really love about him. Actually, is like he seems to. This is fun. I'm going to read things his friends say about him because I think it's really cute. Let's hear it. Oh, he also gave uh, all of the Grown Ups and the and Grown Ups 2 and Grown Ups 3 cast Maseratis. Just, he just oh. gave them Maseratis. But then he gave Rob Schneider a Tesla. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Then Rob should be happy. <laughs> I, I, like, from a friendship perspective, that makes sense. But from an objective perspective about who deserves things, it doesn't. Right. He doesn't deserve that. Anyways. Um, okay. I'm just scared of Rob Schneider hearing this podcast. And, uh, yeah. I want to say that uh, I love you, Rob Schneider. Okay. Are you scared yeah. Are you scared he's going to beat you up? Or are you scared he's going to think badly of you? Is I'm it scared a he's going threat? to turn into an animal like this movie, <laughs> Animal, and break into my house and eat me. <laughs> Was that movie called Animal? I thought, or the animal, I think. I think you're right. I just, it's just very yeah. funny. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, good name though. 
Great name. To the point. Good premise. Good acting. Just good. Uh, A good movie. I was surprised when he, uh, you know, didn't get the best actor nomination for the end. (laughs) Guy friggin' transformed into a gazelle, I think. I don't really remember which animals he did, but it's impressive. I remember really liking that movie. Right. When it came As a, yeah, exactly. I think that's also a good indication of, like, when we said you don't really have, you know, you can't be, like, funny or clever before you're, like, 15 years old. Yeah. That was the exact type of humor at that time. Schneider films and and westerns. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Okay, this is what Jennifer Anderson said about him. Ready? Yeah. I would lead with loyalty is his motto. Kevin Nealon said, Sandler is a very loyal guy to his friends. Scott Rudin said, I have enormous, enormous affection for him. Judd Apatow said, such a menschy, sweet person. Nick Swarston said, really down to earth. Paul Thomas Anderson said, I love, love, love him. And so on and so forth. Just exclusively really, like, kind, nice shit. Um, And I'm not sure... I don't remember now if I always felt this way about him or if I've just been researching for the last three days and now, like, my whole perspective is informed by this. But I do get that vibe from him now. That, like... Oh, definitely. You know? He seems like a a good friend like a sweet man 100 percent. having just like you know always sort of been interested in what he's doing and stuff and seeing all those movies with those same cast and crew a lot of the time uh i think yeah that was a vibe that i got from him as well and so it's nice to have that reaffirmed from uh and i think there's some funny or like there's like some classic stuff about him i think he like won't go on mark maron because mark maron like said something about him years ago and then he's like never forget so there's like definitely a big uh yeah a big uh you know loyalty is is enormous to him it seems oh my god wait two things one is that i really want mark maron to come on my podcast and do mark maron as his favorite jew Right. And I think that yeah that, that could happen yeah, i think you i think you would choose that 100 who else would who else would choose i think like it I would like Mark Maron to be one of the choices, but I think I think it would only work if Mark Maron chose him. Mm-hmm. Secondly, that is very funny because it's also really nice and also pretty hurt. Like, even at, uh, that's a high level of fame to do that at. Even at, like, uh, the non-fame level of comedy, you'd be hard, it'd, it'd be hard to come by someone, like, just in our industry and people we know that would show that level of loyalty it's really nice. Certainly. Yeah. Um, I would never be loyal to my friends. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, w- I would be loyal to my friends up until it wasn't self-serving to me. and then Right. Until it benefited you to not be loyal. Yeah. Which is mm-hmm. loyalty, just di- but then it just ends. So it's like, up until that point, it was loyalty. Um, yeah. But I also find that really funny because that's like the most Mark Maron thing you can do is to <laughs> hold a grudge for so long that you like refuse to go do someone's podcast. And I think the only reason I know that is because, you know, Mark Maron said that. Yeah. Like, I don't think Adam Sandler is out there being like, I'm never going to do Mark Maron because he pissed me off once or whatever, you know? There's no chance. There's no chance yeah. uh, Adam Sandler said it, and there's a high chance that Mark Maron... I love yeah. Mark Maron, I, and I like his podcast a lot, but, like, you know, mm-hmm. he's a bit of a huge baby. Right. Bit and of a huge baby. He's a bit of a huge baby, and I also love him, and I hope... And when, and when he and Schneider sit down together to listen to this, I hope they know they're loved. Yes, yes. I want to reiterate my love for Rob Schneider. <laughs> I'm going to watch The Animal soon. 
it just like got in my skin when you said it like you know what I mean yeah. like it just got in there and I, I was like I have to my eyes have to see that I just need to know what that looked like again yeah I would also recommend watching Rob Schneider's stand-up special soy sauce and holocaust <laughs> uh, is it really it called sh- that it definitely is really called that. Maybe Soy Sauce and The Holocaust. And then he has another show called The Real Rob. On, it used to be on Netflix. And it's basically his take on Curb Your Enthusiasm, but through the lens of Rob Schneider. And it is extremely <laughs> interesting. I will say that. I know about The Real Rob. I, I haven't seen it, but I know about it because um, this family I used to nanny for. Uh, like I, I, well, I saw, it, I saw it pop up on Netflix. And my sister and I like... Uh, it became an ongoing joke between us for a long time. Like, have, we like, gotta watch. Like, you know, when did you watch it? Like, did you watch yeah. it? How was it? The real Rob. We love real Rob. And then I was, uh, I'd go on like the family's Netflix when the kids were napping to watch Netflix, and uh, I saw that the dad had just been barreling through it. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. That is concerning. <laughs> it is concerning. He was kind of cool, uh, but but then wasn't. Maybe he was watching it ironically. Yeah. Well, I felt that from. Like, you can tell when you see someone's Netflix history. Yes, true. I hate that concept a lot. But there's nothing that replaces the pleasure that something gives me that if it's, uh, you know, a piece of content that I, like, really hate and can't stop watching, like, bad stand-up or bad comedy. (laughs) What's your, like, guilty pleasure that you hate watch? Uh, You know, probably people that we know that I'll tell you not in this podcast. (laughs) I'm going to go back to his career. Let's talk about SNL. He got SNL when he was 20 fucking three. I was told to swear less, but that felt, I don't know. That was necessary. Felt good and right. Um, He was hired in 1990 as a writer. Again, I feel like sometimes I'm going to say things that sound like I'm disparaging him, but he's very funny. So much of the Adam Sandler essence, like, is, it has to be him performing his jokes. Like... Adam Sandler jokes work for Adam Sandler. I find it really surprising that he was hired just as a writer and not as a performer. Right. But I think, yeah, maybe this is insane to say because of his giant success on SNL. But, like, if you only saw him as a stand-up beforehand, I wonder if you would be like, you know, oh, this guy's going to be a really important part of a sketch comedy (laughs) show. Like, he does kind of... He's got the writery vibe in that he is really able to write quick, funny, silly jokes... That I guess, it, yeah, it would be better if it was him doing it. But I can see the the thinking of being like, I think it was more like, I'm just completely guessing, Please. but more like, uh, you know, maybe he's not ready to do a bunch of characters and impressions. Yeah, that's very yeah. fair. And actually, I think I need to also uh, distinguish between, like, sometimes I think about Adam Sandler's movies, and they I think of him as being pretty broad and, like, goofy and immature um but his stand-up i was watching him on letterman when he was really young and his stuff was really clever and like weird totally i i dare to say alt but i won't well i was about to dare you um i think that's why his uh that most recent special is still so good to me his recent special was really fucking great it's been a while since i saw it um but I found it interesting that he said he writes with, like, three or four other guys now that help him right. write. Yeah, I think one of the, the guys who is playing the piano in his special, Dan Bula, is yeah. a writer on SNL now. And I'm, I'm assuming is one of those three or four guys that he's talking about. Yeah, he is, totally. But I don't often hear 
high level stand-ups uh, name the people that write for them or with them, but he did name. Uh, oh yeah, that I mean that's name? definitely Dan Bula. I Dan Bula. Uh, he did name them, and I thought that was so sweet. Yeah, that is another name. good form of loyalty because I'm sure a lot of stand-ups wouldn't want to not have the credit. Basically, you know. I can barely withstand the thought of that. Like, if I got to a certain level of success and I had a a special and I had a few jokes in it that I that I thought were really great that I wrote and then I had help with other jokes. Mm -hmm. And this is something I work on in therapy. But I think if I were on a podcast, I would specify which jokes were mine. Or if they were like, man, I love this joke that you do about, you know, chickens or whatever. Yeah. You'd be like, I'd be like, if... I, not that I'd be out of frame for any reason, but if I were, I'd be like, it was, I did me. Right. And then, but then they would be like, well, of course I thought it was you. It was your special. Now I'm just making it seem like you didn't write the other jokes. Yeah. I don't know how to navigate fame very well, clearly. <laughs> I think just, yeah, you gotta, if this happens, I would say my advice would be just accept the compliment and don't say like, it was me and nobody else. <laughs> Cause that only makes it more suspicious. <laughs> Uh, okay. I'm learning so much. <clears throat> uh, he was on SNL for five years. He got fired. Um, you're fired. You're fired. Donald Trump. Donald That's Trump. my impression. You're fired, Donald Trump. That's, yeah. uh, he was the original tiny. you're fired. <laughs> I like to think that someone just nailed down their Trump impression now. <laughs> and they're like really remiss about the timing. They're like, I've been so busy these past four years perfecting this impression. I haven't had time to look at the news. Fuck. Um, he got fired. It's not exactly clear what went down. He, on Howard Stern, said that it wasn't Lauren who fired him. Uh, he said NBC fired him. They just needed to make a move. I was known as sophomoric. I think they had new brass. New guys were running it. Okay, he was fired. Uh, he had a fun time when he was on SNL. He was... Oh, this is interesting. <laughs> that's that's confirmed he had a fun time on SNL. <laughs> that's the extent of my research when I don't know, like, really the exact facts. Um, I'd say someone had a fun time. Because he probably did. I gotta imagine. Gotta imagine. Uh, he was, like, super nervous uh, about performing live, and his pal Chris Farley helped him work through the nerves and like would always laugh at table reads even if it wasn't funny just to be supportive that is very very cute thank you and makes me think of the song for chris farley that he did in his latest special that is a tearjerker you might say i might will i that's what's fun to to wonder about i might Mm -hmm. but i might not (laughs) but i do i did i agree it was a tearjerker damn i was right you You might and you did say (laughs) i did i did actually i don't know if i cheered but I did, uh, I get the, I got that feeling you get when you might tear. Right. It was really compelling. I did tear. Nice. And I that teared. is powerful, uh, of me, an alpha male, to admit <laughs> to crying at a, an emotional song. I do think that, uh, we, alpha males are self-designated. Like, you gotta claim it for yourself. Yeah. No one else is. What's more alpha than confidence enough to say that you're an alpha male? Honestly, nothing. Crying. Crying. Whoa, shit. You're right. So I'm double alpha. Double. Okay, here's what happened to him. He got into movies, as we know. Uh, Right. Airheads? Was that his first one? Was it? I thought so. Maybe it was the first one I knew him in. I didn't. With Brendan Fraser and Steve Buscemi, maybe? 
Love Steve Buscemi. Love Brendan Fraser. I really think he's... I was watching Scrubs recently, and uh, he's on it a few episodes, and he's really funny and really charming. And he had, a fu- and he had fun. And he had, and he had a great time. He had a really fun time. A set of Scrubs. His first movie was... I don't remember what the first movie he was in was, but the first movie that he wrote and starred in was Billy okay. Madison. Ultimate classic. Ultimate classic. Love Billy Madison. Still love Billy Madison. Yeah. I should rewatch that. It totally holds so up. So that's making me think of. Yeah? Have you seen it recently? I saw it like five years ago. Okay. That's Pretty a, recent. That's kind of recent. Mm-hmm. If I were if I were ten years old, then no, that wouldn't be recently. I would have evolved a lot. Right. You know what I mean? I like what five mean. to ten is such a huge. I might have such different perspectives, but I'm yeah. thirty, so five years ago is not that long. Right. You understand? I get it. Thirty-one. <laughs> five years ago, to me, not that long. Not that long. I was gonna say, but oh, I had a huge crush on him when that movie first came out. I I remember well because he reminded me of like all the boys I grew up with. Who? Maybe this is. Maybe I'm wrong about this. I don't think they'd been like represented that much in media. As, like, the star of the movie. Right. You know? I think he, yeah, he has a sort of everyman quality to him. Everyman. Especially with our generation, probably. Yeah, everyman, especially with our generation, Jewish. I grew up with a lot of, like, I went to camp with a lot of Jewish boys. And also just, like, uh, you know, immature, but, like, in a really charming way. Totally. Um, But he was, you know, the star of the movie. Um he made a string of hits he was just like on a roll for 11 years uh i think he made he's made a movie a year for the last quarter century uh and in those like 11 years i guess from 99 to no like 99 to 2011 which is 12 years uh every movie except little nicky earned more than 100 million dollars i'm surprised i thought little nicky i'm only surprised that little nicky didn't um i thought that was also a hit yeah i remember that was when I think my parents first, or my dad first soured on Adam Sandler. I mean, fair enough. Yeah. To your dad. I think, like, making him go see that with me as a, whatever, nine-year-old, ten-year-old when that came out was probably, he just didn't give a shit about it. Did you see Little Nicky with your dad? <laughs> Maybe. I definitely saw it in theaters, either with my dad or my brother. But I remember thinking it was so cool that he did a character named almost my name. <laughs> That is Lil, one. Lil Nick is Lil. my name. <laughs> <laughs> it is, uh, like, children's values. One of the main values a kid can have is is being excited that someone has the same name as you. That's, like, one of the main... Literally, tra- yeah, yeah, 100% agree. Huge. Even still, I get a little bit excited. And we'll be honest, yeah. The Montreal Canadiens have a great <clears throat> hockey player named Nick Suzuki, who's probably 20 years old. And Lil, I love Lil him Nick a lot. Suzuki. He's, yeah, truly Lil Nicky. And I love him a lot. I bought his jersey because I am so excited that they have a good player named Nick. It is exciting. Yeah. Uh, I don't meet a lot. I don't know a lot of famous Lauras except the two best uh, actors in Hollywood, Laura Linney and Laura Dern and Laura Lebo. The big three. The big three. Those are really good, though. I will be honest. Laura Linney, I'm thinking, and I can't picture a person. I know the name. And Laura Dern is beloved. Laura Dern is beloved. Linney's beloved. Right. Just not. She does sound like someone I remember being, uh, yeah, critically praised. She has dimples. And she talks like this.
Okay, what an interesting way to talk. Okay, I think this is in 1999. Sony offered Sandler his own production company called Happy Madison Productions that produced his own films as well as a lot of vehicles for his friends, including David Spade and Rob Schneider. I just wanted to list a few of his friends. Um, I do love David Spade. I do love David Spade, too. quite a lot. You know what movie really, really, really genuinely made me laugh so hard was uh, The Wrong Missy. I thought it oh, was I haven't seen so it, funny. But I know it came out recent. It did. It's really funny. Lauren Lapkus is in it. She's great. It's very, very stupid. A fellow double L. Yeah, fellow double L. And I'm not going to lie. That's not the first time I thought about that. I'm sure. I, I mean, we were it. just talking about how nice it is to have people with the same name, let alone the same initials. Initials? An alliteration? Yeah. You, you can't make this stuff up. No. Nick Nolte for me. I remember, like, recognizing that at, like, five years old and not knowing anything about Nick Nolte but being, like, nice. Nick Nolte's a weird, like... a weird kinship. Like, yeah. Like, he's a yeah. weird guy. I think that's true. I think maybe a bad guy, too, from maybe some reports or something. But that I'm not going to confirm or <laughs> say anything. I don't know anything about it. He had fun. He definitely yeah. had, he had a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, okay. He made a ton of movies. Uh, what are your favorite Adam Sandler movies? I mean, kind of impossible not to say both Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore. Sure. I even put, would put maybe Billy Madison top mm-hmm. um, of the whole thing. And okay. Uncut Gems was very mm-hmm. fun. And those are what come to mind right away. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of um, Big Daddy. Okay. It's like my third favorite. It's not my favorite, but I, I really love yeah. it. I do remember liking that a lot. I have not seen that in forever, but I definitely had the DVD or VHS of that as a kid and watched that a bunch. I remember seeing it as a kid, and I, uh, I really, I didn't cry a lot as a kid. I had a hard time like letting cries out, and that movie I could always put on, and it would just like really reset me. It really, it really, like it would get you to cry. It would get me to cry, and it would just I, even still just thinking about it, I get emotional. More so than I would about, like, certain dramas. It really grabbed me. He was so good. Let's talk about his later career. Not not as thrilling as his early career. Um, although I did like Funny People, which was long. Yes. But, but I remember fucking being so hyped up, like, hearing about that movie. And then, like, it came out and I was so excited. Because it was like, you know, I was obsessed with Judd Apatow and Seth Rogen and those guys at the time. And then Adam Sandler was included, and it was, like, sort of, you know, a biopic of, like, stand-up comedy and blah, blah, blah. And I did like it, but I do I do remember thinking, like, holy shit, this movie is long. Yeah, I remember thinking that, too. And I think it was... Um, I'd like to rewatch just the first half of it again. The first half was great, uh, and I think there was definitely a point midway through that was, like, like a definitive ending point. I mean, it's it's part of Adam Sandler's whole thing. Like, it's a it's a nice representation of what I really adore about him, which is just like it it makes you feel famous to be associated with somebody who represents things that feel so like personal and private to you, kind of. So like, right. you know, like there's the the beginning of the movie. There's like him making prank prank phone calls with his friends when he's oh, young, right. which was like real found footage. It was real found footage. They found it, um, and I remember think I was like, uh, it really reminded me of my childhood and like prank phone calls I would make with my friends, 
and um, just everything about him, like his his really everyman demeanor, and like the fact that he is pretty Jewish, it's it it's like you're just uh, so close to fame if someone like you gets to like make movies. Right, you see yourself on screen. Yeah, for so to sure. speak. Yeah. In fact, that's I how think... I felt watching Little Nicky. <laughs> I felt and like Nick finally, Nolte. I can see myself on screen. <laughs> the <Yeah>. Devil's <laughs> Spawn or whatever it was. That is such a funny move. Like, like conceptually, that's a, it's really funny that movie got made. I wish sometimes I'd had the perspective of an adult when things first happened, you know? Right. I wonder if maybe his, like, you know, propensity for doing very silly voices, like, got in the way of, like, if that movie was just, like, if he just, like, you know, had his regular voice speaking, I wonder if that was would have been a more successful movie. Um, I know for a fact that he... <laughs> The movie was built around that voice, like. Okay, fair. He, I mean that that actually does. That tracks, right? <laughs> I haven't even seen it in so long, but yeah, that does. That totally seem like tracks. That makes sense. I've, there's probably a few movies where that's true. Yeah. But that one in particular, uh, he knew a kid growing up who sounded like that, and he wrote a whole movie around a a voice. Gotcha. Which you know, it's fine. Um, yeah. Okay, little Nicky. What else? You know, he did a bunch of shit. After 2011, when his career started to decline. After those, after he got the production company, I think his main goal, kind of probably smartly, you know, he doesn't owe us anything. So I think he was just like, I'm going to make, you know, fun, easy movies that will gross hundreds of millions of dollars. And I can shoot in Hawaii with my friends. And I don't really. And then, like, you know, when he wants to do something, you know, more artistic or whatever i think that's when he can do you know uncut gems or uh i haven't seen the wedding singer but i imagine it falls under that category uh i just know he plays a little bit more serious role in that he yeah well yeah he plays like a more romantic lead which is very ser- right. deadly serious um, deadly serious and it's the scary 80s. even frightening um yeah no for sure i would do the very same thing i like that you said he doesn't know us anything i think other people would disagree yeah. but uh he doesn't what the hell does he owe us? He's given us so much. If he had just done Billy Mad, this is reminds me of Passover when we are saying stuff about, I believe God, yeah, <laughs> and we say, uh, you know, it would have been enough if he had let <laughs> us out of Egypt or you know all that stuff. It would have been enough if he had just given us Billy Madison. It would have been enough. If I'm he had just given us a, Happy Gilmore. It, it would have been, been enough. enough. Um, I'm gonna write a little um, brochure. What are, what's it called? The Haggadah. Oh, yeah. But Billy <laughs> Madison sure. will be, or uh, Adam Sandler will be God. That would be good. Um, no, no, I agree with you. But I also think there's a, I think a lot of people have the perspective of artists belonging to that, or like artists, eh, he, whatever, artist, who's an artist. I, I would classify him as, yeah. He's an artist. But that, like, they think that art and artists belong to them and, like, that they are just like help for hire and that if as long as we're paying people to make shit that they they owe like i, I don't know i just know a lot of people yeah. that i don't know in person but i read uh their tweets who i think feel that way totally and i think there's obviously a really personal connection that you build with somebody on screen and then like if you see another thing that they're in and then like are disappointed by it you're like you know annoyed at that person or whatever you're like oh i thought we had something and you fucked me on this one <laughs> you know totally okay he made a bunch of movies later in a life lot of fun. 
He had a lot of fun, and uh, he made Jack and Jill, which I would just I have to mention because I just think it's the funniest uh, thing You've in the world. Never seen that movie. No, I've never seen it. I just I know about it, and I think it's really, really, really funny that they got Al Pacino to do that. Yeah. I also okay. Uh, I'm a huge Survivor fan. Okay. And they, it, it was the year Jack and Jill came out. The Survivor would do these like um, integrated promotions for things, right? Like they would. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever they'd have phone calls home, like they'd get to call home. The Verizon like, phone call home. Exactly. The Verizon phone call home and the people and like some of the more charismatic contestants would be like, oh my God, I'm so excited to call my mom. Look at this feature. You can video chat and like really sell it. And so they really would try and like seamlessly integrate it. Obviously it wasn't very successful. They did yeah. that for Jack or Jill. <laughs> that is extremely funny. Yeah. <laughs> and they built a challenge around it. And they kept trying, uh, like, they would sort of integrate an actual clip from the movie. You have to uh, feed Rob Schneider. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I wish I... It was like... It was like one team... Like, this movie's about twins. And and Jeff Probst also is just, like, such a team player. So he was, like, really selling it so much and being, like... In this uproarious comedy about two twins, you know, like... uh, He's He's telling that to people on a deserted island. They're like, wow, I can't wait to fucking get back to land. I know I'm so hungry right now, but I can't wait to (laughs) to get to Jack Jack and and Jill. Jill. I actually think that's the best way to consume Jack and Jill is after being, like... Like deprived of <laughs> marooned anything, on an marooned on an island, and then given just one film. It was so funny, man. And they, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll find it. And yeah, I'll uh, see that clip. He talks about his dad a lot, which I loves love. his dad. Loves his dad, man. Loyalty. Loyalty. Loyalty to his dad. Uh, I, I'm really loyal to my dad too. Mm-hmm. I don't consider Same. anyone else my father but him. <laughs> Damn, that's a really deep connection that you guys have. Thank you. I listened to a lot of interviews with him and read a lot of interviews and listened to a lot of podcasts. And he brings his dad up a lot. Uh, he talks about how he got his work ethic from his father. He strikes me as somebody who would call his dad Pops. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And that's why I love him. I call my, my dad is called Pops in my phone and in my heart. Oh, very cute. It's another thing I find super comforting about him. He's got like a real Jewy. He he uses Jewish idioms and like Yiddish terms of endearment. Very cute. I call my dad Mr. Nemiroff out of respect. (laughs) Oh, fuck. I call him Dr. Daddy because he's a doctor and he's my dad. There you go. That seems fair. Yeah. Dr. Daddy. Uh, His dad had seen every single one of his TV appearances. Um. On a different podcast, he was asked if he believes in a higher power, and he said, yeah, he talks to God. He's not sure if he's talking to God or his dad, either one of those guys, and how now he always talks to his dad. Anyways, he loves his dad, and so do I. Very cute. Yeah. I love, I like that. Yeah. Makes me more uh, into believing that he's a genuine good guy. Okay, that's enough research. What do you think of Adam Sandler now? I mean, I love him even more. Than before, I guess. None of this has disproved any of my already very positive thoughts about him. So I'm happy to hear that in your research, uh, he's still a great guy. You're welcome. Um, did you watch his stand-up growing up or, or just his movies? 
Uh, I listened to his stand-up albums, uh, or like, you know, maybe they were more sketch albums or whatever, but I remember laughing at them a lot, and I think it was another, you know, having the age difference between my siblings and I, I think Adam Sandler was like a something that, uh, like The Simpsons or whatever, it was like was something we all loved and watched and could experience together, so that was very fun. Anything else you want to say about Adam Sandler? Mm-hmm. You know, he has very cool classic basketball games, I believe, uh, in like his on his property, and those seem like the coolest thing in the world. I wish I played um, either basketball or like any. I don't. I have no skills that allow me to like do stuff with other people. Like you know what I mean? I can. Right. I can like hang out. You play out. just solo sports. Then? Yeah, like tennis. I, I guess. I just. I don't know how to play tennis with someone else, but I can whack the ball against the wall. Because um, it's so consistent, um, and uh, like I can knit and color, but uh, you know I can't. Coloring is that's impressive. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It is a. It is usually, I usually a only, one yeah, color activity. with a few people around, so that's cool that you can do it solo. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to coloring. Okay, well, I think I think that's all I want to say about it, Adam Sandler. But I do want to play a game with you. I'd love it. It's called Two Truths and a Lie. Okay. My producer. I love truth and I hate lying, so I'm in majority favor of this game. The game is I say a truth and you say that, you say, I feel great about that. And then I say a lie and you say, I do not feel good. Uh, That's a good game. Yeah. A lot Um, of guessing. Okay, I'm going to tell you two truths and one lie. But here's the thing. I'm not going to tell you which the lie is. You have to guess. Oh, fuck. Okay. A little, a little twist to the classic two truths and a lie. Okay. Yeah, that, yeah. that game normally goes two truths and a lie, and then you explicitly say which one is a lie. Yeah, but here we have to, like to have a little fun here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he was heckled at his first ever stand-up gig for wearing a retainer. Okay. Okay. Uh, he once got a ticket for public urination, and the cop saw his dick, and then the cop spoke about his own botched circumcision. And then three, he was offered the part of Jew Bear in Inglorious Bastards, but he couldn't take it because he was busy. Okay, I believe that third one I have heard, so I'm going to say that's truth. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say the second one about the dick and the circumcision, that seems like the lie. (laughs) It is. I didn't. And I, I am only going to say this because I was right, but I also thought that because it sounded like something that you made up, or <laughs> it sounded like in your voice almost. Oh, okay. Like. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I wrote this quickly this morning, and then as I was re- as I first looked at it, I was like, "This is so obvious." There's just um, so much like, detail and like. <laughs> It is detail you know, and like the word dick, I feel like, yeah, if I said, sound like it's from a police report <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. And also like, that would be a huge story. I think if a police officer like commented on someone's dick, I feel like that's technically yeah. inappropriate. Anyway, sure. I, the one I did for Juliana, uh, for Jack Black was so good. I got, I really got her good. Damn. Just can you, valid. can I hear the three if you remember? I don't remember all three, but I can read you the lie. Okay, ready? Are you ready? Yep. Okay. Uh, early in his career, he left his cell phone in a taxi, and he was able to tra- 
He was able to track it down. It, tur- it turned out the driver of the taxi was early aughts icon Terry Polo. Whoa. Like from Meet the Fockers. Meet the Parents. Um, if we're being appropriate, the parents. But the explicit yes. version, the Fockers. Yes, the explicit sequel. Polo. Terry Polo. Yeah, which if she did. I think she... I bet if you looked up her IMDb, she has done something semi-recently. Like drove, like driven a cab, or like performed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would have it would have all the cars she's driven on her IMDb recently. <laughs> no, like worked, uh, yeah, as an actor, I imagine. Yeah, I haven't seen her in a while, but I hope she is okay. I hope everyone's okay. Usually. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, when before she got so fancy when she was just Terry Shirt. This is such a. I I was just gonna say this sounds like such a mom thing to say, but did you just make that up? Because that's really funny. <laughs> you might be surprised, but I did just make that that's up. That's really funny. Yeah. Um, you could use that. That's true. If someone ever says Terry Polo in conversation again, I'm gonna have this locked and loaded. You can use that to earn goodwill and friendship. That's right. That's what I mean by that. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You're very I. Welcome appreciate that well that's been uh these are a few of my favorite jews uh adam sandler edition and i'll be back another time i want to give a huge thank you to my guest nick nemeroff you can follow him on twitter at nick nemeroff and you can hear his juno nominated comedy album the pursuit of comedy has ruined my life on his website which is nicknemeroff.com This show is hosted and edited by me, Laura Lebo. Executive producer is Michael Freeman. We're distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. Follow me on Instagram at Laura Lebo and Twitter at Tweebo. Follow the CJN on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Find their other podcasts at thecjn.ca. Please make sure to subscribe and review the podcast. It really helps us out and we're nice connection between the movie Jack and Jill and this survivor. Jack and Jill is about a brother and a sister. They are twins. He doesn't always get along with his sister, but in the end he realizes that he needs his twin sister in order to survive in the world. It's the same out here for you guys. It is the bonds that you make in the